0: Stadium. Hello, friends. I'm Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up Show. They are Neil and Chris of InallKindsofWeather.com. Boys, we have got ourselves one hell of an SEC East showdown in Columbia, South Carolina on Saturday. First things though, hey, it's great to do this again, right? We we're just talking off air. First time all three of us have spoken. Since the Super Regionals, unfortunately, the Gators' run ended early thanks to Paul Steens and LSU. We won't go there, though, but guys, <laughs> how you been, man? It's it's great to see you guys once again, and I think we're in a position we all expected to be where there's a lot on the line this weekend when Billy Napier and Shane Beamer squads go at it. What's going on, man? It's It's great to see you guys once again, truly
2: it's good to be back with you chris and let me just say it's a shame that our football teams aren't performing as well as our baseball teams were earlier <laughs> this year with a little bit more on the line for for that matchup versus this one here but it's good to be back it's sec worth in the thick of sec football now we're six games into the season you know there's i think there's a lot to talk about from what we've already seen of course you guys are coming off your bye week now uh, I'm eager to really talk about this matchup. I think it's one of the more underrated matchups on the college football slate that nobody's talking about this week, just given the fact that, you know, neither one of us is ranked. We're likely not going to be playing in Atlanta or for any major bowl game at the end of the season. But for the futures of our program, I think there's a lot to, that, that that goes into this matchup.
3: So yeah, Chris uh, Chris Phillips and I were talking before the show and, and I, I dropped a line with him that I think is going to resonate with, fans of both teams here. It's going to be a disastrous season for the loser of this game. Both teams need this and they need it badly. Florida, because it would only be their third loss, but just take a quick look at the schedule that lies ahead. Georgia is next. Then you go at LSU, at Missouri, FSU to finish the year. Arkansas is not even a sure thing. You could very easily have a scenario where Florida doesn't win a game the rest of the year. It's not the most likely scenario, but it's possible. And for South Carolina, already with three losses, their schedule a little bit different than Florida's. In fact, um, probably more inverted than Florida's um, in the sense that you guys had the tougher half of it to start. But still with Clemson lurking, um, I think you have a another SEC West team that you still have to play. That's not going to be easy for you guys. Kentucky, Missouri are not gimmies for you. So to to go two and four before you play those games, Could be problematic for you so both teams need this and they need it bad that's the synopsis of this game
0: neil before i get to your point how does it feel to know that no matter what win or lose your mentions on social media are going to be a complete mess (laughs) Ah, i'm used to it at this point (laughs) they already are not even there yet i'm used
3: to it i i went i went back i I don't know what's more
0: fun i don't know what's more fun the after a loss you having to eat crow or the neil pettiness tour where you just go and call out everyone every oh those are everyone. those are everyone. i mean i can tell
3: you which one's more fun for me but i mean look and for those who don't know i, I went back um and, and collected some receipts from when the gamecocks swept florida in baseball in the regular season in april saved every last one of the receipts. <laughs> all every one six of them we were
0: tweeting for a week
3: yeah, we for a week. one by one, one by one, went at every single one of them. Um, And then I was the one that got to get sit on a plane and fly to the American Midwest and watch my team play in Omaha, even though we didn't win. But good times, man, good times. Looking forward to the football on the field, though. Uh, I think that's a little bit more important than social. To yeah, your point,
0: though, Neil, the schedule that follows for South Carolina after this Florida game, Gamecocks have Missouri and Texas A&M on the road back-to-back. They close out the season. Four straight home games, which is kicked off by Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt, but then, of course, Kentucky and Clemson in it. So this is one of those pivotal. Guys, we'll start there. I, I want to get into how the Gators have looked, how the Gamecocks have looked at this point in the season. But I'll have you guys know in case you missed it, I actually called this game back in July South Carolina's most important game of the 2023 season because I, I predicted – that Carolina would be right here at two and three. Granted, I had the Gamecocks beating UNC, but losing to Mississippi State in a bit of an upset game. So it hasn't been the the exact identical way that I picked it to go. But sitting at two and three overall record, I thought this was going to be a game where, you know, the the phrase must win gets thrown around maybe way too much, but it's a can't lose for South Carolina. And it's a can't lose for Florida either, like for either of these teams. And in the respect of it's the most important game for if you are going to even have a remote chance at reaching the goals that you set out in the preseason. Like, this is a game for both teams you have to have. So I I don't know that i would labeled it Florida's most important game. When I looked at South Carolina's schedule, I was like, this Florida game right smack dab in the middle will be the halfway point of the season. Coming off of the bye week, I think this is where South Carolina has to start to kick things into gear.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just been very up and down. It's been up and down the entire Billy Napier era thus far at the University of Florida. You know, the biggest theme that Gator fans continuously talk about is the fact that his teams have not been able to seize momentum when they've had it. You think back to last year when the Gamecocks came to the swamp, we were coming off our first road win of the season against Texas A&M, an unexpected victory that everybody pegged as a loss when we looked at the schedule at the beginning of 2022. We won that game and then South Carolina comes to town and we dominated that game, you know, over 300 yards of offense rushing the football. Spencer Rattler probably played one of his worst games of the season that night. And the Gators steamroll South Carolina. And you think, and you look at the rest of the schedule, we got Vanderbilt the following week. We should win that game. And then Florida State, you know, at, at Tallahassee, but it's a rivalry game. And Florida, you know, proceeds to lose to Vanderbilt and then loses to Florida State. We finished six and six. We get steamrolled in the bowl game. And all the momentum we had gained from the AM and the South Carolina game was lost. And then we fast forward to this year. Neil and I, I think, had said that Florida's maybe most important game was actually the Tennessee game because Napier needed to beat a rival. He needed to see some momentum back, beat a ranked opponent because he hadn't beat one since the first game in his tenure against Utah. He did that. And then we can't really keep it going against Charlotte. We look lackadaisical. And then we drop an egg in Lexington. And of course, we handled Vanderbilt last weekend, and that was probably our most complete game yet this season. I felt we actually put together four complete quarters of decent football and we showed some good things on film. Not great, but we beat a team we should have. Can Florida continue the momentum on the road in South Carolina? Can Billy Napier actually beat another SEC opponent on the road? That, that that's the big question. I think is that we just have not been able to sustain momentum in the Billy Napier era.
0: So what's what's been the Gators' issue on the road? That's my question. What what uh, why can Florida not yeah. win on the road under Billy Napier? So what's your theory, Neil? I mean, it, it's just <laughs> astounding to me. Here, all right here, here's the thing.
3: It's not like you can point to one thing that Florida just magically doesn't do on the road. It's not like, it's not like you can just say, yeah, they, they just forget how to tackle on the road. Or, yeah, the offensive line just false starts itself into third and 65s on the road because they can't hear the snap count. Or the, the quarterback, be it Richardson last year or Merch this year, just makes bad decisions because it's, I don't know, it, it's loud, it's rowdy, it gets in his head. It's not one thing. Every single thing about the Gators just completely falls to pieces on the road. I mean, last week, Florida's offensive line played its worst game under Billy Napier. With two offensive line coaches, the pride and joy of this team is the offensive line. And spoiler to what we're coming to talk about later in the show, it comes at the expense of having a special teams coach. We don't have an on-field special teams coach because we have two O-line coaches. So with that in mind, you think the offensive line has got to dominate its competition week in, week out. And the exact inverse happened against Kentucky after, I mean, Chris Yanes, you can maybe disagree with me on this, but in the the Gators win against Tennessee they looked really good up front they maybe missed a block here or there but for the most part they looked pretty good against a solid SEC opponent um and there there was the the issue of just letting guys get behind them. The secondary just busted some coverages. Kentucky thankfully dropped one of those. It could have been 37 to 14 instead of 33, 14, but Barry on Brown just, just dropped the football when he was open behind the defense for a touchdown. So it's just a number of different things that Florida just doesn't execute on the road, offense, defense, special teams, coaching. For some reason, I don't know why it seems to me like the play calling is worse on the road than it is at home. So I just I can't explain it, but and maybe there is some some psychology behind how every single facet of the Gator program just completely implodes outside the swamp. But they're just a very different team outside of Gainesville.
2: I think it's mental. It, it, it's a mental thing with when you go on the road, especially in a conference like the Southeastern Conference. It's a mental game. And I remember actually, I don't know, Chris, if you watched the Swamp Kings documentary, they talk a lot about that and how Florida struggled on the road in Urban Meyer's first season. We lost three road games that year. And the changes that he had to make in the program internally in the offseason to get these guys mentally ready to go do it. And the next season, obviously, the rest is history. We we go on to win the national championship. We won a huge road game up in Knoxville that year coming from behind. You know, we, I don't think, have gotten that far yet in the Billy Napier era where he's been able to get these guys mentally ready for a road matchup. and. Maybe even for himself, he hasn't figured out mentally how he's got to prepare. Now, the one thing he's changing for this game is the travel schedule. We are going to be arriving in Columbia a Wednesday night. He wants the guys to get a nice bit of rest of sleep Thursday before they do the walkthrough and then have the game on Saturday. So will that work? I don't know. Maybe a clear mind, better sleep. You know, there's a lot of sports psychology and, you know, about that. But that's something I, I just I think it's really a mental block for this team that they have not been able to break through yet.
0: Well, and I would say, too, guys, to be fair, you know, I I don't want to say it's overplayed, but winning on the road is really hard because I'm just thinking about from the South Carolina perspective. I mean, their splits home and away aren't great either, and I would argue South Carolina is a much different team at williams Bryce Stadium versus away. I mean, look at last year when they lose to Florida 38-6 to and they turn right around. They're in that raucous environment with Sandstorm going against Tennessee and do the unthinkable. So, I mean, you know, you got that great win at Clemson the following week, but for the most part, especially in the SEC, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, South Carolina has been a, a different team, you know, between home and away. And, I, I, you know, that leads me to this. I think this is an interesting game from the standpoint of who are these teams really because I, I look at Florida – and I see the Tennessee game, and I see the Kentucky game. And I'm like, which team is this? Which team is Florida more like, that one that won over Tennessee or the one that won over Kentucky? And then you look at the South Carolina side, and you just look at their overall record, it's ugly, two and three, right? Losing record through five games. But all three of those losses came to ranked teams. And South Carolina, I think, features one of the toughest schedules in college football through the first six weeks of the college football season. But then you dig deeper. One of those three losses at Georgia, lose by ten points. There's no shame in that, and you punch the dogs in the mouth at a fourteen to three lead at half. But then those losses to North Carolina and Tennessee, they were ugly, right? Mm-hmm. And you gave up a combined fifteen sacks in those two games. South Carolina with twenty three total team sacks. So guys, I, you know, I, I think it's a real question. And I'll tell you this, guys. I'm curious the mood of Gator Nation going in this one because I can tell you from the Gamecock perspective. I feel like it's a fan base that's very on edge right now. I think a lot of people got smacked in the face with a dose of reality in that loss to Tennessee. There were a lot of people, I think, that saw 8-4 and four last year and thought, okay, Gamecocks will just pick it up and keep it going and win nine or ten games this year and be the surprise team in the SEC East. And for those of us that follow it really closely, we knew, hey, this is a football team with real deficiency on the line of scrimmage. They lost guys in the portal. They were serious roster turnover but i think for those that were say picking 9 and 3 to pick up that third loss in the fifth game of the season you know this is a game where i think a lot of people and i don't want to say and i don't want to speak on this to to say that gamecock fans are fair weather or anything like that like they're going to pack out the stadium whether they lose every game or not but like you can sort of feel it like the 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 buy-in and the interest in this season from the fan base perspective if this is an L to florida it probably wanes off a good bit versus if it's an inspiring performance that shows an improvement is on the way. So, um, you know, again, guys, I I think for both teams, we're going to learn a lot of, like, who are you really? Like, that's my question for South Carolina and Florida in this game is who are you really?
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Yeah, I think that the Gator fan base is jaded a little bit. Like they look at the win on Saturday over Vanderbilt, the best performance like I mentioned all all year. And I, you're just they're not buying into it, I don't think. I don't think they're they, they one because it was Vanderbilt and two because they saw the team beat a top almost a top 10 Tennessee team at the time at home really dominated that game. I mean, they they dominated the football game. They kind of sat on the ball in the second half, but Tennessee never really threatened the Gators in that game. And then they go and they play like they did in Lexington. And they're just like, okay, we're going on the road again in the SEC. We've lost in Columbia, South Carolina before. Like, it's going to happen again. It's almost like it's just deja vu all over again. We're going to see the momentum start to go up and then, you know, comes to a crashing halt. So I think that they're just kind of on edge and they're jaded at past results that they don't believe that this team can actually turn the corner finally and, and do it. They, they, I think most Gator fans are actually pegging this as a loss until they see otherwise. I That's say, really the mood I see.
3: I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word jaded. I would use the phrase beaten into submission because Florida, look at Florida on the road, look at their results. They don't just lose on the road. They embarrass themselves. Against Utah, the Gators did everything imaginable to beat themselves up to and including having two guys wearing the same jersey run on the field at the same time, which is up there with Marco Wilson being a moron for the dumbest penalty I've ever seen in my life. And then at Kentucky, you just get completely and utterly owned in the trenches when you're bigger and you're stronger than them. What else are we supposed to expect? We, we I mean, we we can only go by the data that's rolled itself out to us. We can't just live in a different reality, one where Florida went to Utah and won by four touchdowns. You go, yeah, you know, that happened. We beat Utah 38 to 10. We'll beat South Carolina, no problem. No, we have to live with the reality that's presented itself to us. And that reality is that Florida has played exactly one good half of football outside the swamp in the now – exactly year and a half since Billy Napier has come here. That was at Texas AM last year. First half of that game was terrible, by the way. We we let a, a true freshman quarterback on his true start throw for almost 300 yards in one half. I mean, it was terrible. So we're just looking at this and going, all right, well, we have one half of football to justify any possible positivity here against every other half of football we played the other seven games. I mean, what else are we supposed to do?
0: I, I just think what's fascinating guys is when you're coming into a game where it feels as if both fan bases are expecting the worst and like somebody has to win right like like somebody's gonna win the game <laughs> it's just like but it's always I feel like weird things are bound to happen when you have both fan because i I feel like both fan bases are you know you could use the adjectives like jaded or you know, uh, spiteful or on edge or upset or disgruntled. Like, I, I feel like both are in very similar situations for for different reasons. So, I, again, I'm expecting some weird things to happen. Now, getting on the field, guys, let's talk about it. I, I want to start when the Gamecocks have the ball. So, the South Carolina offensive side, Florida defensive side, you guys have probably seen it. I'll give the Gator folks some, some intel on the Gamecocks. Spencer Rattler. Um, You know, I I know that uh, Florida fans had their fun with Spencer rattled after that game last year in the swamp, but he has been brilliant thus far. Like, I I will say this, for all the the deficiencies that South Carolina has on the offensive side, most notably the offensive line and the running back position, which they feel like maybe they found somebody in Marbio Anderson, I think he can be a capable RB1, but the deficiencies they have on the offensive line. And Juice Wells going down, and guys, I can tell you, he is not going to play in this football game from what I've been told. So Xavier Leggett's going to lead the way. Spencer Rattler's been nothing short of brilliant. Now, against Tennessee, he looked like a mere mortal. I think the Volunteers did a really, really good job. I'm sure Billy Napier and Austin Armstrong will look at that film, try to duplicate that, but... When you think about the fact that Seven has put everything on his shoulder, everything on his back, carrying this football team, and it's literally all season long looked like a one-man football team, he has been brilliant. And I really think changing the coordinator, I think that's done wonders for him, simplifying everything. He doesn't like he's thinking as much. He's just playing free, just going out there, playing pitch and catch. And, and then there's Xavier Leggett, guys, at wide receiver. I mean, he he has been one of the bigger surprises, I think, in college football, a dude that – You know, we had high hopes for for a couple of years consecutively. Uh, He's already shattered his career receiving yards total in this season. Like, he's already done that. So, I think one of the best wide receivers in the SEC, at least what he's proven to this point. And that's what they're going to rely on because, guys, I'll tell you right now, South Carolina, the biggest questions for them, can they resemble, can they get any sort of balance, any sort of push in the run game, and can they keep Spencer Rattler upright? And my biggest fear, admittedly, guys, was coming into this season in games in which South Carolina could not find offensive balance. Well, obviously, they were going to be one-dimensional. It was going to put it all on seven. And even if we've seen it this year, even teams that aren't great at rushing the passer, I know, guys, you'll speak on it, Florida hasn't exactly gotten the backfield a ton this season. South Carolina has made teams that have mediocre pass rushes look really, really, really good. And from the Gamecock perspective, I look at Florida and I look at what Austin Armstrong's done. And I know that Kentucky game was ugly. Obviously, Ray Davis is a name you guys probably don't want to hear. I assume he has a key to Gainesville at this point for what he did to the Florida Gators defense. But uh, 286 yards allowed per game, 166 through the air, 126, or excuse me, 120 on the ground. I mean, Florida, from what I can see on paper, has been pretty good across the board, whether it be stopping the run, stopping the pass. I mean, all three levels, and Austin Armstrong obviously leading the way. So I'll, I'll let you guys take it from there. But what what's been... You know, Austin Armstrong was a guy who, who you know, one of the youngest coaches, I guess, in college football. Like what, he's like a 29-year-old defensive coordinator. What's clicked for Florida defensively? Because I know last year the Gators were abysmal, and all of a sudden, you know, we always preach Jimmy's and Joe's, but the X's and O's in chains and changing and net-ups obviously turned the Gators' defense around.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the big thing is that the, the defensive scheme that Patrick Toney ran last year and the it's called the the creeper defense that Austin Armstrong runs this year they aren't that different there there definitely are some um subtle distinctions as to the stunts they run Florida will will bring some more corner blitzes now with the creeper defense that that Austin Armstrong deploys but for the most part they're they're pretty similar i'd call them like sibling schemes and that means that florida after going from the complete and utter discombobulation of todd grantham in 2021 to having to learn something completely different in 2022 that contributed that just the newness the novelty of the entire scheme contributed a lot i think to their incompetence on the defensive side of the ball and now there are some minor tweaks but if all you're really doing is just telling defensive tackles, hey, we're going to have you stunt more and try to come around the edge and you cornerback, you, Jaden Hill, you're going to be blitzing like 10% more. And that's really all you do. And maybe like 5% more bump and run coverage. That's all you do to a defense. They're going to improve from year one to year two of the same scheme. So I think that's been part of it. I think another part of it has been that uh, the, some some of the new faces that Florida has imported. I think a guy like Cam Jackson... on on the defensive line. Uh, Caleb Banks, also on the defensive line. Shamar James isn't new, but he's, he's a year older. He's in an improved role. He's just one of those, like, it guys, so to speak. He just, he has it those guys just came in and they just balled out from day one and they make differences across the field shamar james in particular is everywhere if you watch game film of florida you'll see him making tackles behind the line of scrimmage you'll see him making tackles 20 yards down the field from sideline to sideline. he just has a nose for the ball and just making things happen for the florida gators so there are more of those guys now it's not just him i mean jakeem jackson another one true freshman came in he's and Chris James, maybe help me out on this. He's what, like the the fifth or or sixth true freshman to start a corner for Florida since Urban Meyer came. It's not a long now,
2: list. sounds about right. Yeah, he's up. It's, Vernon Hargraves comes to mind. Janoris Jenkins, Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden. Yeah, sounds it's about a right.
3: Very short list. And Jakeem Jackson's on it. So just like that, a Jordan Castell, although he's kind of cooled off lately, but uh, I mean, that could be, this could be a big bounce back opportunity game for him, but that's the point. There's just so many new faces across this defense that they're just guys that have what it takes to play SEC football. Ventral Miller was great. We miss him dearly, but swap him out, bring in all these new guys. The personnel is massively upgraded for Florida on defense this year. So between the familiarity of the scheme and that personnel, Florida is just a very different defense this year. Even with the Kentucky game in they
2: just play smart assignment football too. They they understand. I think s- simplification too of how the coaches are getting the information and the scheme to these players is is working because uh, the Grantham scheme. We want to go back to that was very complicated. It was on the level of what an NFL team runs right now. The guys just at the college level could not get it unless you had a 12 or 11 guys that, you know, are 40 football players. They understand everything about the game, which in the college game is just not the case. Then you go last year. I still think that the coaches just weren't explaining what was they were supposed to do very well. And I think when you just look at Austin Armstrong, the way he coaches football, the way he goes over film, it's easy to understand even for the average fan. And and for any you know fans out there that like to go and watch game film, go watch the way he breaks down film on YouTube. There's plenty of video clips out there. It just makes sense. And if he's if that's how he's teaching the game to his players i can see why there's been a night and day improvement on that side of the ball and and you know the kentucky game to me was kind of an anomaly you know when you put certain things on film over and over again that tells me that it's going to you might have a bad night and for florida unfortunately it was against kentucky I, I think Neil and I both thought that was going to be sort of a slugfest game. Florida's offense, we just did not feel confident going into that game, but we felt the defense was going to keep us in it, maybe even win it for us. And that just didn't happen that day, and that's why it was uh, it looked uglier uh, than what it potentially could have been if they had played their best game like they had been up to that point. But then they got right back on 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 track against Vanderbilt, and I you know I do think Saturday night I do expect another good performance from this defense because they just are very well coached. They're healthy. There haven't been a lot of injuries, fortunately, on the defensive side of the ball. Either most of our injuries have actually, unfortunately, occurred on the offensive side of the ball, which we'll get into in a little bit. But the defense is clicking, and that's why Florida has themselves in a position where they're 4-2 and two right now. If they were able to get this win, 5-2 and two in the bye week, there's a path to maybe getting to 7-8 wins, and it's because of this defense right here.
0: So what did Kentucky do that nobody else has done? Uh they beat, I, us, I don't, up. They beat I, us up at the point I, of the outside time. of Ray Davis turning in. See, I,
2: I don't know. I don't know. I think we honestly beat ourselves a lot in that game. There were moments if you go back and look at that where Florida was in position to make the play, they were in position to make the tackle going into the Kentucky game, Florida led the SEC in fewest amount of missed tackles with 19 coming out of that game. We had 44. I mean, we more than doubled our missed tackle number in one day of football. And And that doesn't
3: even account for the fact that Ray Davis would just lower his shoulder and drag our guys along for the ride for three or four more yards. We'd make the tackle. We'd bring them down. But that's not exactly playing football the way you're supposed to, is it? So, yes, Chris, you're right. We we did beat ourselves. The play calling was awful in that game, more so than usually is um, under Napier. Side note for South Carolina fans, that's one of Gator fans' biggest gripes. We need to hire an offensive coordinator next year. There's not a, a two ways about it. We need a new play caller in games. Well, but anyway, um, South Carolina just obliterated us at the point of attack. Chris Phillips. Kentucky. You asked, Kentucky. Or yeah, Kentucky. My bad. I'm thinking Carolina. Kentucky just dominated us in at, at a lot of scrimmages. You asked what they did that other teams didn't do. That was what they did, despite them not being as big or as fast as Tennessee. So that's, again, that's that home and away type of thing that has been killing Florida under Napier. But Chris is right that we beat ourselves, but that was just so concerning to me.
2: That's just why I think it's an anomaly. I truly believe that's why And we'll talk about Florida's offense in a second, where the things they're putting on film are not anomalies. They have clear deficiencies in the play calling, which is why we're calling for an offensive coordinator to be hired in Gainesville this offseason. Why, you know, we need to probably bring in more talent on that side of the ball. The defense is good. This is a very good SEC defense. I would put it, it is, It is. I think, one of the top four in the SEC right now. And that's the only reason why Florida has a chance to do anything this season of an improvement from last year is because the defense is what it is. And we said going into the season, we knew we were going to take a little bit of a step back because we lost a playmaker in Anthony Richardson for a guy who's at best a game manager in Graham Mertz. And the defense had to level up big time. And they've done that. And I think... Just really the Kentucky game, from what I have saw, they were just out of position. They had a bad game. They were downright just bad at tackling that day, and they got beat. And then you look at Kentucky, they only threw for 69 yards, and yes, they had some drops. But even if you get those catches, they still do not beat us through the air. It was all through the ground. It was a want to that we did not have that day in Lexington. And I just think that, you know, the coach like Austin Armstrong, who's drilling into these guys, he's kind of that mold of a, a little bit of a Kirby smart, the way he kind of talks and the way he, he drills into these players. I, I don't, I'm not saying it won't happen again, a performance like that, but I think they're going to be fewer and far between.
3: Also I, I think that nine yeah, but, for 20 staff or 69 passing yards. That does not factor in a ball. He threw right to Jason Marshall should have been a pick six. So, yeah. He just dropped the ball. Like it, it was worse than nine for twenty for sixty nine yards makes it sound.
2: He was honestly, bad. Chris. That, that's the guy you probably want to target on Florida's defense right yeah. now is Jason Marshall. I mean, this is a guy who was a five star out of Palmetto down in Miami. He has just not lived up to the billing, and there were some draft boards that had him going in the first round this coming season. I mean, I have not seen a guy's stock drop this much from a from a DB perspective at Florida in a long time, and I mean, I think we're probably. The best corner on the team is probably sitting on the bench right now, which is astounding. And Devin Moore, who is by far I think the best cover corner on the team, uh, followed by Jalen Kember, the transfer out of Georgia from last season. Maybe uh, who, hit, and then Jakeem Jackson. Yeah, I just Jason Marshall has been the biggest disappointment. And he I think
0: that's a fascinating game. matchup. I, I think that's a fascinating matchup, guys, because you look at the numbers. You know, if if South Carolina is able to run the football, it is going to be. Shocking. Let's just use that phrase because they average 87 yards per game. Uh, Gators only allow 120. And again, guys, the Gamecocks ran for over 100. Knoxville, 140, I think it was, but 75 of those came on literally one run. So you take that away. It was a typical South Carolina rushing performance, 2.5, 2.4 yards per carry. But Carolina airing it out, 312 per game through the air. But the Gators secondary only allowing 166. So, I'm really curious, guys, from the Gamecocks' perspective, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts. I, I just – I think the matchup is fascinating from this standpoint. So many South Carolina fans just want to see the Gamecocks, Dowell Loggins, the OC, just air it out, right, through the air raid, whatever, and that's much easier said than done. South Carolina's not just going to completely scrap the run and go to air raid, but their strength is throwing the football. But I thought the Tennessee game was the first time where Spencer Rattler really looked mortal. I mean, he had truly played at a level – that we had not seen, I think, since his freshman year at Oklahoma. But he had that pick six right before half, and you look at the numbers, and they weren't that impressive. I'm just, I'm really excited. Like, I feel like this is a good-on-good matchup where it's this South Carolina passing offense against that Florida Gator passing defense. I think that's going to go a long way because, you know, in, in determining who wins, because, guys, I'll tell you this, the Gamecocks do not win this football game if they don't get the best version of Spencer Rattler because Spencer Rattler is this football team at this point.
3: I don't know, Chris. I don't think that Florida's really faced a great passer this year. We faced Utah's third string quarterback, Bryson Barnes. I mean, he's he's okay, I guess. Uh, I'm not really sold on Joe Milton as a quarterback. He's done nothing since that game to persuade me otherwise. Devin Leary completed less than half his passes. And, I mean, the the irony being, this is hysterical, perhaps the most talented quarterback Florida's faced so far or at least one of the two, was Charlotte's quarterback, Jalen Jones, because he was a former Florida Gator signee, was in the Gator program, um, wound up leaving the program because of some off-field issues. But, I mean, he he was wanted by some SEC schools, and he went to Charlotte, and, I mean, he didn't really do a ton, but he had some big plays against us. But Florida hasn't really faced a quarterback like Rattler this year, and obviously they did last year, and obviously some of those players are back from the team that shut down Spencer Rattler. But it's not going to be easy to go from facing – six quarterbacks in a row of average status or below average status to suddenly making the jump to on the road, Williams-Brice stadium, everyone there wants your blood and now you're facing a very good quarterback. So that's going to be interesting to me just to see how Florida faces um, or far, how Florida fares against this steep increase in competition in one between week to week.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, Spencer Rattler easily is the best quarterback we've faced all year. Joe Milton, he just is not, he's not the passer. He has a couple of, you know, big plays, but you can't throw an ADR bomb for a touchdown every single play in the SEC. Rattler is the one that excels at all of the throws on the field. He can make every single throw. He could move the pocket. He could escape, you know, get improvised with his legs. That's a quarterback that Florida truly, I don't think, has faced this season yet. It's going to be a huge test for this Austin Armstrong defense. And can they contain him? I think that's the biggest key is can we keep him in the pocket? And then, you know, Vanderbilt's, you know, team, they did try to run the ball. They knew that they're, I mean, the deficiencies of Vanderbilt were very similar to South Carolina in that both teams were not great at running the football, but they could throw the football. That was the way they were going to move the ball. And yes, also Armstrong defense will probably give, I, I suspect they'll probably give up two, maybe three big plays in this game of, of at least, you know, 30 yards or more. That's just the style that they play. But I'll give a team that if I know most of the plays, they're going to stuff the run and they're not going to let the big play happen most of the time. And I think for South Carolina, the key is are if they aren't able to run the football, then they're going to have to hit a lot of big plays down the field to win this game. So, that, that to me is the interesting part of this, is that if Florida is able to make South Carolina one-dimensional, similar how they made Vanderbilt one-dimensional, that's going to be a good day for Florida. And Florida this year has found out that even when Graham Mertz has a day where he pads the stat sheet in a passing game, if they don't run the football, they don't win the game. So I think in this situation, the key to winning the game for both teams is the one that runs the football the best. So when Florida has the ball now, let's talk about our side of the ball, Graham Mertz, the Florida Gators, you know, it, like we talked about earlier there, we've had some moments where we have moved the ball very well. We had a great half versus Tennessee in that first half. I'd say last Saturday we put together four quarters of pretty good offense, moving the ball down the field. But outside of that, there's been a lot of inconsistencies with this Gator offense. They've struggled at times at getting in, in the red zone and punching it in the end zone, settling for a lot of field goals. Uh you know, Chris, tell us a little bit about what the Gators offense is going to be facing with this South Carolina defense. I know the South Carolina defense has struggled at times stopping some of the better offenses like a North Carolina and Drake May. And then obviously even Joe Milton and Tennessee on the road this year. Um, may- maybe that's a situation where they play a little bit better at home. But how do you think that this matchup is with Graham Mertz and this Gator offense? Quick question, guys. What is the status of trevor Etm
0: because i saw he did not have a carry in that game last week against vandy is he good to go for this one
2: i, I would say at this point he's questionable i i, I would lean 60 percent chance he plays i think the reason they helped him out last week they held actually three guys on our offense or three guys on our offensive side of the ball two on the offensive line kingsley our starting center as well as an austin barber our starting right tackle that was, I think, precautionary, knowing that they wanted to have these guys available for this game. I do expect them all to go, but sixty percent, I say, still very questionable. Okay, because I, I think, guys, that when I look at this ball game, and I like the point you made,
0: Chris, the team that runs the football the best wins the line of scrimmage will win this game. I, I, I would tend to agree with you. Um, I think for South Carolina, it'll be more about it. on their offensive side, just keeping Spencer Rattler upright and just having just barely enough balance to give him some time to operate. But on the defensive side for the Gamecocks, we 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 love to talk about hot seats. I, I would say that uh, I, I don't know if I'd call Gamecocks defensive coordinator Clayton White's seat hot quite yet, but it's warm, and it's warming by the week. And if this game goes poorly, with all due respect to Florida, right, I, I think we'd all agree the Gators aren't quite a an offensive juggernaut this year. If this one goes poorly and Florida's able to find their groove and and put up a good offensive showing, I think there's going to be a lot of people calling for Clayton White's job midseason, fairly, unfairly, what have you. Because when you look at the numbers, guys, the defense has been abysmal. I mean, there's just no other way to put it, right? And the biggest question I had coming in was, can South Carolina stop the run? They had finished 11th or worse in the SEC standings in run defense Five consecutive seasons, that was the thing that had to get fixed. Have a new defensive line coach in Travian Robertson, former Gamecock great, obviously took over for the departed Jimmy Lindsey. The thing that was always consistent with South Carolina, those guys, they had been a very bend but don't break defense. In the first two years of Shane Beamer, they had made a living off of turnovers, getting the football off their opponents and great secondary play, right? They couldn't stop the run worth a lick, but they had a really, really talented secondary, great secondary, no-fly zone, if you will, in Columbia. That has not been the case this year. You lost Cam Smith and Darius Rush, both to the NFL in the corners. Nick Emanwari, your safety on the back end, has battled some injuries. DQ Smith, I think, has been exposed a little bit in past coverage. And Marcellus O'Donnell, fortunate at the corners, I mean, they haven't been terrible, but I don't think they filled the shoes Of those departed guys and also guys to be fair, you face some big time quarterbacks, right? We were talking about the Gators defense hasn't faced anybody like Spencer Rattler. I mean, the Gamecocks have faced Drake May, they face Will Rogers. I know Joe Milton's not all that great, but a quarterback that it can at least stretch the field. I mean, if you want to throw Carson Beck in there, you can I, I, I know. You know, some people will still try to say he's unproven, but I mean, I think he's literally on pace to set the all time Georgia single season record for passing yards. So they face some good quarterbacks to this point, but they've been exposed, guys. And uh, South Carolina, and again, you look at their defense, the problem is they don't have that secondary to hang their hat on. What's unfortunate is this the rushing defense, at least the yards per game allowed, is much better than it's been in years past at 141.6 but you're allowing 301.4 yards per game through the air. And those stats, you could argue, maybe they're skewed a little bit because of the Mississippi State game where you allowed 487 yards passing to Will Rogers. But still, uh, overall, complete, it it just has not been a good product, guys. All three levels. The defensive front, I I don't think South Carolina's got a high-quality SEC defensive line, my honest opinion, especially at the edge position linebacker, they're very young and experienced or just really not where they need to be from a talent standpoint. And then, like I said, the secondary, I think they have immense talent there, but they got two new corners trying to fill in. You know, they haven't gotten quite what they expected from Eamon Wari and Smith in the back end. The nickel's been a mystery as well. So, and also to the scheme, right? We talk coaching and I think many folks, their gripe with Clayton White is, you know, you go out there against Mississippi State, you sell out on stopping the run and Woody Marks and you do that. Granted, Will Rogers has a big passing day, but, hey, you win the ball game. You go out against Tennessee and a quarterback in Joe Milton that, if you guys watch that South Carolina-Tennessee game, I mean, Joe Milton is is a very – he's a pretty average quarterback. He's got a huge arm, but he's an average quarterback. But instead of selling out on stopping the run again, they played soft. They played off. They let Joe Milton operate. And by Oh, by the way, in the process, they let Tennessee run for 230 yards on the ground. So – That, to me, is the biggest matchup in this game is can South Carolina slow down Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne if he goes, and then eliminating the quick passing game, the short passes that I know Graham Mertz has made a living on, and I know guys looking at the Gators' offense, you know, I, I admittedly ranked Graham Mertz 14th out of 14 quarterbacks in the SEC power rankings over the summer, and I feel like Florida, that was part of the Gators were kind of the fun team to pick on, and Graham Mertz, like, who is this guy? He's trash, whatever. I think he's actually been decent. Like, I, he's not, you know, he's not going to win any awards or be first-team all-SEC, but, like, he's operated the offense. But to your point, Chris, because of that, he has to have a running game to support him. So I think for South Carolina, to oversimplify it, that's what it comes down to. Can the Gamecocks stop the run? If they can do that and force Merckx to beat them, I think they got a great shot. But if Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne are running wild all day, which very well could happen, It's going to be a very, very long day for South Carolina. So I say all that to say, Chris and Neil, Gamecock fans have no idea what they're going to get from this defense. And unfortunately, the hopes aren't high because you look at the numbers and they've just been gashed all season. They've had to outscore their opponents all year long. The Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage, Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. And Game Time is the way to go. Again, that's our friends at GameTime. Go download the Game Time app or go to GameTime.co. And when you do, create an account and use promo code SpursUp. That's SP or S U P for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed.
3: Well, I'll tell you what you're going to get from the Florida offense, whether or not IETN goes. Um, I mean, the, the passing game for Florida beyond 15 yards or so down the field is, for the most part, completely non-existent. Maybe they'll take a shot beyond 20 yards down the field. Maybe they'll take two and stun me, but the Gators just don't have that and i think it's a combination of the offensive line just doesn't do its job collectively long enough for the routes to develop the routes that receivers are running aren't crisp enough that like you know to get them open and in some cases we have receivers who don't know what they're doing they're they're young they're maybe not as familiar with the playbook as they could or even should be and they run routes say short of the sticks they run routes literally into each other. I mean, there was a meme, you know, 10 years ago, the gators blocking each other against George Southern. Well, we had the receivers doing the receiver equivalent of that. They ran routes right into each other against Charlotte. So it's just a, a combination of discombobulation for uh the, the gators passing attack. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Ricky Pearsall, when he is in one-on-one coverage can make something special happen. You might have seen that that ridiculous one catch. Yeah, yeah. Was, so one-handed. he's he's a real threat if everything else falls into place. If he has single coverage, no safety helping um, on him, he could do damage. Trey Wilson, true freshman for Florida, is explosive. He can break tackles and make defenders look stupid in the open field. And Andy Jean's come on um, pretty strongly for the Gators in, in recent weeks. He looks like another guy that could be a, a problem for defenses. Um, he can he can burn you with his speed, he can take the top off a of defense if we had the quarterback to throw that ball to him. Different story. But Florida's gonna utilize a lot of those like five to 15 yard down the field intermediate passes, the quick passes, the screens, the slants, the flares, the quick crossers. Um, I mean, Florida utilized a double pass last week. That was it got intercepted, but that was like that was Napier getting creative and trying to stretch the field down vertically didn't work because Khalil Jackson threw a bad ball. But all is to say, Florida is not going to be challenging the secondary of South Carolina too far down the field. They just, they don't have that capability. So you're going to be seeing a running game and you're going, whether or not ETN goes, because Montrell Johnson is a very good running back in his own right. And uh, without Cam Carroll, we thought, well, that would be a pretty big, Low for us when we lost him, but Trayron Webb has stepped into that RB2 role nicely. So whether ETN goes or not, Florida has a good running game. Carolina fans can expect that, and you can expect a lot of those quick passes that's going to stretch the field horizontally but not vertically. So you can rest easy in in that sense.
0: And, and you guys had a tight end emerge last week against Vandy, correct? I think you had a pair of touchdowns. What was warning him. Boarding yep. okay.
3: Arlis Arlis Boardingham is his name. Yeah. Um. I mean, we have another t- a couple of tight ends who can, you know, contribute. And Dante's Sanders and Jonathan Odom. They're they're probably I would say not as as problematic for South Carolina in terms of being pass catchers as Boardingham, but.
2: Just, they're just I, not the same athlete. They're not the same yeah. caliber of athlete as a boarding ham. And I think boarding is starting to come into his own. This was a guy in high school that Billy Nader actually found out in California, who's a track athlete. Uh, so he, he's got that, you know, that speed, that athletic ability of somebody that would do track and field and can play football, but he's six, three over 240 pounds. So he can move for a big guy. Uh, so he is starting to become a little bit of a mismatch. And I think that they're slowly working him more into the game plan, But what makes him effective, though, is that play-action pass once you have an effective run game where you get merch to roll out and the tight end just pops open. Almost all of Boringham's routes are rollouts to the right from a play-action fake and where he's just flaring out to the sideline and he catches the ball in the open field in space and he's able to make guys miss. He can even truck guys. You know, he's 6'3", 240 pounds. He can run you over too. So I think that's what makes him effective. In this passing attack and, the, and sort of that play action game, and it just worked really well against Vanderbilt. We'll see if it works well against some of these other opponents like a South Carolina or down the road like a Georgia or an LSU. That remains to be seen. But for a retro freshman, he's playing very well, and he certainly is the future of the tight end position at the University of Florida.
0: He's the only and, we got in the end zone against Charlotte. He caught our only touchdown against
2: Charlotte. First drive of the game, yeah.
0: I was gonna say, guys. Speaking on the South Carolina defense a little bit more in depth, I, I, I think this is where you see a lot of that that roster turnover I mentioned before that really, really is hurting South Carolina this season. I mean, they lost guys like Jordan Birch to Oregon in the transfer portal. Gilbert Edmond went to Florida State. Zach Pickens went to the NFL. They lost they lost Sharad Green and Brad Johnson to graduation at linebacker. They lost six of their top eight. In regards to snap count in their front sevens, so they lost a wealth of experience there. And I think they, they've they got talent, but it's just Shane Beamer mentioned it at SEC Media Days. They're just, they're so young, man. And I don't think, admittedly, I don't think South Carolina did a really great job in the transfer portal addressing their needs. I mean, they added Jataius gear from Syracuse, who has been hurt and has made virtually no impact. They added Drew Tuazama from UAB, who was added to the roster a, a week before kickoff. And has made no impact, and they added Jerron Willis, a linebacker transfer from Ole Miss who can't crack the two deep. So, you know, especially at the edge position, they they are really hurting. They're relying on young guys. They don't have great depth. And, you know, I think the secondary, it's it's head-scratching there because there's a lot of, you know, you look at the recruiting profiles and everything, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fancy names or household names or high-profile recruiting guys, whatever, but they just haven't lived up to the billing either. So I'll tell you guys on that note, though, admittedly, as much as I don't trust the Gamecocks' defense from the gambling perspective, I, I love under 51 in this game. I, I think this is going to be kind of a knockdown, dragout slugfest, kind of like some of the Florida games we've seen before. I, I just I, I don't think this is the ball game where you're going to see offensive fireworks really from either side. Number one, because I respect the Florida defense, and number two, because Maybe my lack of respect for the Florida offense, with, again, with all due respect. Like, I mean, I, I would imagine, like, Florida hitting 30 points would be, like, an offensive explosion, right? I mean, I, I would assume If so. we,
2: I mean, if we score 30 points, I think we win the game. I mean, <laughs> right, I, I mean, right. I would be oh, – I, I, mean, I, I do, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that would be a padlock stack in and, and, and Florida's – or South Carolina's favorite, for that matter, because if, if Florida gives up 30 points, I don't foresee the offense being able to match that. So, I mean – I agree. I think this is a game where it could be in the teens, low 20s, maybe a precursor to our score predictions later. But that's kind of where I see this game going as well. I think the under is a safe play
3: especially with the new clock rules in college football, too, where you get less possessions per game. I think it's by like 2.75, I think the stat was that I saw a week ago. Um, you get two or three possessions fewer per game. And this and double, especially with the way Florida's offense runs, where South Carolina fans, um, if you get vertigo pretty easily, I, I wouldn't watch too many snaps because Florida runs pre-snap motion on every single snap. There are at least there's at least one guy running in motion, switching sides of the field. Sometimes two or more, um, and it, it frequently bleeds off between thirty and thirty-five seconds of the play clock. So between that and the new clock rules in in college football, if either team hits thirty, I'd be pretty surprised.
0: Well, and to your point, Neil, whereas on the South Carolina side, I think their key offensively is to stretch the field, go downfield, find Xavier Leggett you know, what have you work in the passing game. I mean, if I'm Florida, I am doing everything in my power to run the football, use the short passing game and deliberately milk the clock to keep Spencer Rattler off the field. Like, I, I think this is, you know, it's an old football cliche, but like, I, I think this is a game for Florida where your best defense can be your offense into where the best way for Spencer Rattler to not hurt you is when he's not on the field. Like I, you know, I, we, we talked to Chris Doring. obviously, you know, Gator great. Uh, friend of our show comes on every Monday. He talked about he wants to see Florida stretch the field more vertically and talked about the use of the short passing game, if you will. But, I mean, I, I think that could play right into Florida's hands. It, 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 that That's the one thing. I talked about this actually today on our show, that if you're South Carolina defensively, I think the thing you cannot allow Florida to do, you know it's going to be tough to stop the run game. You cannot let Florida just dink and dunk you to death because Gamecock fans have seen South Carolina play soft on the outside and just – you know that bend but don't break mentality. I don't think that's going to work in this one. Like I, I just, I do not think that is the recipe for success. So, I, I mean, if I'm Florida, I'm trying to milk the clock. I'm, I'm trying. I want the low scoring ball game. That's what I'm going for in this
2: one. And to your point, Florida, I mean, overwhelming in this matchup advantage on time of possession on their end. They are able to they on average are holding the ball significantly more than South Carolina is. I mean, they've had a long, sustained drives. I mean, I think last week we had another 95 yard plus drive against Charlotte. We had a 95 yard drive for a touchdown. Florida has shown that they're able to hang on to the ball, move the ball down the field, hold it for a long period of time. They're willing to go for it on fourth down. Billy Napier has this weird fetish with playing two downs when it's a third and five situation, which is just not necessarily smart football in my mind where you're, you're playing for, for two downs on third, third and five knowing that ahead of time just to me that's very low uh, ev back for your offense it's it's just playing not to lose but they are able to hold the ball for periods of time throughout a game the problem though is when you fall behind and that's what happened against kentucky is that we fell behind and against utah for that matter too we fell behind so much that at that point no that's when you got to get that downfield vertical passing game like Doring's talking about like a lot of gator fans are talking about you have to be able to hold the ball for a long period of time but if you fall behind in a game you got to become a quick strike offense to be able to come back in a game and florida just has not proven they can do that this year and that's my
3: frustration with florida is that i don't think the capabilities exist on this team i think it's i don't think it's just one piece i don't think it's just the offensive line i don't think it's just the receivers i don't think it's just the play calling i don't think it's just a limitation on graham mertz's part i think it's All of them put together. I don't think that Graham Mertz really trusts his deep ball as part of it. I don't think the offensive line blocks long enough for the routes to develop. I don't think the receivers, for the most part, are able to get separation. And on some occasions they are. I mean, we've seen Khalil Jackson develop some separation here and there. Pierce Saul, Caleb Douglas, Andy Jean, um, Trey Wilson. Here and there they do, but not consistently enough and the the plays just aren't called for them to do that. You have some some plays that are that are designed so poorly or at least it seems either they're designed poorly or the routes are run really badly and that we've seen six games now Florida's only thrown the ball more than 20 yards down the field I think seven times that are that that have not been um called for penalties of some sort. I think there have been seven shots down the field beyond 20 yards where there was not a penalty that negated the throw, so it might be eight. I think we did take a couple more against Vanderbilt. This is before that game, but nonetheless, doesn't happen often. There's a reason for it. There are several reasons for it, and so I just like if Florida goes down 14-3 in this game, they're dead because I don't see them being able to, A, sh- pitch a shutout on Spencer Outlet for the rest of the game, and then, B, come back from multiple scores down, and especially on the road, and and come back. So I just, and yeah, may, maybe okay. we go back to what we said at the start, where we're jaded or beaten into submission or whatever, but I just haven't seen the data to to merit
2: me believing in this. And actually, Neil, you bring up a good point with that, that 14-3. Ford has to get off to a fast start on the road. They are notoriously bad at getting off. That's why I think that's another thing you could look at of why they've struggled so much on the road. They fall behind quickly they either have a turnover to start the game. Uh, You know, they get a quick three and out offense goes down the field scores. They have a boneheaded penalty, like in the Kentucky game where we were getting about to get the ball back only down 10, nothing only for us to get the, you know, the crazy, the the personal foul penalty, that gave Kentucky, the ball. And then Ray Davis is 75 yards down the field. The next play. I mean, it's, it's something that doesn't allow us to get off to a quick start. We fall behind dramatically in the first two quarters and there's no way to make it up. And, and, and if Florida falls behind early in this game, Neil's right. I, there's not too many scenarios where Florida can make that ground up in the in the game.
0: Yeah, guys, and I think South Carolina's probably geared better to overcome a slow start, throw themselves back in the football game. Right? they they're. they're I, I don't think they're going to uh, force the issue when it comes to the run. Right? If they can't run it, they're going to have to lean on Spencer Rattler. But to the point of that. If they do fall behind, you know that's where I think you've seen the large sack numbers come in because this is an offensive line that if defenses know opposing defenses know that South Carolina is passing, they they just really really struggle to keep him upright, give him time to throw. Because guys, I, I'll tell you this: it's at a point this year to where when I see Spencer Rattler set his feet and make a throw, I'm expecting a completion. Like there have been very few throws. Like, I could probably think of them and, and list them on one hand, right? I, I can number them on one hand where he set his feet and made a throw and it was not a good throw. All of his throws have come, his bad throws have come under duress, under pressure, and he still limited the turnovers to to a great degree. But, you know, if you're getting in these third longs and, and, and you're not winning first down, right, these cliches, again, we talk about on a weekend, week-out basis, or you start slow and you are having to throw your way back in the game, that's where I think South Carolina can get in really, really big trouble, and that's that's where those sack numbers start to to really pile up because they just don't have the guys up front. I mean, they started two true freshmen on the offensive line at Tennessee, and I think there's a good chance they could do that again. They do get Ja'Kai Moore back who could start at the guard position, but, I mean, those two true freshmen, I think they feel like that's two of their best five, which I think that kind of goes to show you where they are on the offensive front. Guys, in a game like this that could be so close – You know, we got to talk about special teams. Special teams could be a factor. We talk about Beamer Ball a lot on this show, but I'll admit to you guys, special teams has not quite been what we are used to at South Carolina to this point in the season. There's been a nice fake punt completion by Kai Kroger against Tennessee. You had a nice little onside kick in the first game, but I think there's honestly been more special teams blunders then there have been outstanding plays, which is just something I didn't expect to see. There was a really questionable two-point attempt in the Mississippi State game that did not come back to haunt you. But, you know, you talk to anybody, good coaches, and I'm not trying to call out Shane Beamer, but just keeping it a buck, like great coaches don't go for unnecessary two-point conversions in the second quarter. They just they just don't do it when they're only up six in the ball game. So there's been some questionable moments with special teams. Uh, all that being said, we all know that in any time Beamer ball can pop off, and that was the only reason that South Carolina scored in that game against Florida last year it was because of a, a fake punt touchdown. What's the situation with Florida? I know you guys had a, a kicking competition, I think, going in the season, and the guy I believe that's won it, I think he's perfect on the year from what I've seen. Um, I mean, anything has anything stood out with Gators special teams to this point?
3: Oh boy, Chris and I are just raring to go. All I
2: all I got to say to Chris, all I got to say to Chris, is welcome to the party, pal. Because <laughs> special teams has been an adventure for the Florida Gators this season, and not in a good way. Uh, um, for the kicking thing, it actually. We had a walk-on, Adam Mahalik, who was the starter last year. He won the job. And a lot of us were raising our eyebrows like, why isn't Trey Smack, who now has the job, our scholarship kicker, who was one of the top-rated kickers in the country coming out of high school, why he was not the starter. And Mahalik struggled early on. He missed a kick against Utah that could have put Florida back into that game. And then he struggled once again a week later uh, at home against McNeese, missing an extra point. And then at that point in the Tennessee game is when the switch happened to Trey Smack. And he's been perfect since. He's made all of his extra points and then nailed a 54-yard field goal in the Charlotte game. So, you know, the guy's last name is Smack. I mean, I think he was born to be a kicker. And, I mean, he has done very well. Jeremy Crawshaw struggled early on in the season with consistency. And then he has finally come on and corrected some of the errors. He was shanking a lot of punts and killing us in the field position game. He's brought that back. Florida's special teams issues are self-inflicted. And a lot of it is because, as Neil touched on early on, we don't have a special teams coach on the field coaching us uh unfortunately uh florida fans kind of uh, and and i'm real this is a really bad thing they sort of cyber bullied the guy who was responsible for it off the field uh into the point where he deleted his twitter account he was taken off i I don't think he was fired but he certainly is no longer in charge of special teams anymore uh it it really nasty situation that where you see the ugly side of fans i think in, in in football here uh they were saying some pretty awful things on social media but he was not doing a great job. The coaching staff has not done a great job coaching special teams and coordinating personnel. We've had situations where we've had eight guys out for a punt return or eight guys out for a field goal block. I mean, it's it's just it's a comical of a comedy of errors. And it has hurt us in games in big situations like the Utah game with the the, the 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 wearing of the two different number or the same number on the field at once at a critical moment in the game where it turned against us, and then again against Kentucky where we had a personal foul where Ray Davis then ran off 75 yards the next play, I, I think a lot of these special teams issues root back to the fact that the coaches just have not done a great job coaching them up and making sure the personnel is in the best situation to succeed and yeah, you've only you, you only
0: just how do you not him. have a special teams coach
2: that because we have two offensive line coaches
3: is, it's like, that's, like
0: having, that's like having two drivers in the bag it's like all right this guy yep. can't hit a fairway this, putters, is where, this
3: is where I come to the defense of of if there's such a thing as possible of Chris couch the guy who was listed as Get ready to laugh, South Carolina fans, listed as the game changer coordinator. That's what Napier called it. And, and I mean to his it friend, was a game changer. Right. already. Right. It does. It, it, all it changes the game. It just changes the game in favor of the other team. But in, in, in defense of Chris Couch, he's not an on-field assistant. He's a quality control assistant. What do you expect him to do? He doesn't have the same power as a Corey Raymond, who's our defensive backs coach, or a Jabbar Jalouk, who's our running backs coach, or either of the two offensive line coaches we have, which, by the way, South Carolina fans, if you want to talk about um, assisting coaches being on the hot seat, I-, I don't know if you want to call it a hot seat necessarily, but it's it's pretty clear to most Gator fans that the, the, the two offensive line coach experiment, as Chris Yanes called it on our or maybe two pods ago that that's done. It's over. It can't continue. One of those guys will not be back next year. They can't be back next year because possibly
2: both to be honest, possibly both. Yeah. And I I see a scenario where both are not back
3: and, and and possibly both. So it's just, if you're going to have two offensive line coaches, the offensive line, a had better be elite, which it's not. And the special teams can't be a complete and utter dumpster fire, which it is now trace Mack has, improve the kicking situation he gets credit for that jeremy crawshaw has developed some more consistency as a punter he gets credit for that but there have just been so many different things going wrong on special teams chris yanes only touched on the tip of the iceberg there's the fact that we have guys catching punts repeatedly inside our own five yard line there's the fact that we have guys two or three yards deep in the end zone trying to run kickoffs back there's the fact that I, well, maybe Chris did touch on this, but we lined up for a field goal block attempt with eight players. And then we decided because, <clears throat> I mean, the, the average of, of um, I don't know, The average number, I guess, is what matters most, according to Florida. So why don't we go ahead and and average it out and run 14 on the field the next time? Hey, that averages out to be 11, right? Eight and 14 averages out to be 11. So there you go. No, that's a penalty. So we had another one with 13 guys on the field. We had, uh, oh, we had one where we almost snapped the ball over Croshaw's head. He had to jump as high as he could just to catch the snap on a punt. So there, there are just so many different things working in tandem against the Florida Gators when the special teams unit is on the field that it's, it's the same sort of synopsis I gave with the Gators on the road. It's not one thing. It's not two things. It's not three things. It is all of them. It's everything working together against us. I, I, the, the
2: most of the special teams issues have occurred on the road, too. I'll, I'll point yeah. that out. That's true, too.
0: I, I was gonna say, guys. Just on that note, I was wondering because from afar, I'm like, you know, Billy Napier, he he's recruiting well. You know, I, I met Billy Napier at SEC Media Days, got to shake his hand. Cool dude. Like, I, you know, got number love for Billy Napier. I'm like, why is he catching so much heat? And then I learned that he has no special teams coach and two offensive line coaches. And I'm like, all right, all right, I see why this is happening. O- on that note, guys, a massive game, obviously for Napier and Shane Beamer. Let's give our overall outlooks for the games. Uh, again, I think this is going to be a game where weird things happen. Both fan bases, for whatever reasons, their own respective reasons, are nervous, are jaded, are living in angst, are expecting the worst. But as we mentioned, somebody has to win this football game. I'll go on record, guys. I- I'm not overly confident, to be honest with you. I think this is probably a South Carolina team fighting for six and six, maybe seven and s- seven and five is still in the cards. But if you're going to get there, You have to have this one. South Carolina has been a different team at home. Florida struggles on the road. You know, the special teams factor does favor South Carolina. But I I think this is a coin flip game, guys. If the Gamecocks can't stop the run, it's going to be a very long day. But I do think great opportunity for Spencer Rattler to prove himself. I think low-scoring game, guys, like I said, under 51 is my play. I really would not be surprised if if it went either way but I am going to go South Carolina 24-20. to 20. Again, if you flip that score and told me Florida won, would not be stunned at all, but because of the home field advantage, in a year, guys, where it feels like home field advantage, maybe it doesn't mean everything, but it feels like it means more than it has in quite some time in the SEC, I got to side with the home team in this one and go South Carolina 24-20. to 20. What what say you guys for the game on Saturday? Well, Chris, really you
3: want to get- i mean he 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 just ran through our our verdict uh in like a minute um so yeah i mean we typically typically end our preview shows by giving our key to the game the percent chance we have um uh, for florida to win or in your case you can flip that to the percent chance south carolina has to win and then our score prediction so key to the game for me is offensive line and defensive line for florida at the very least, hold your own. Defensive line, that shouldn't mean you dominate, because as Chris Phillips has alluded to, the offensive line for South Carolina is not very good. So you should win this battle. And for Florida's offensive line, at the very least, don't get embarrassed like you did against Kentucky or even Utah to a somewhat of a lesser degree. That'll win the line of scrimmage like you do in pretty much every game. Um, percent chance I have to win is gonna be a, a very, a very surprising number, but it it comes from somewhere. I'm going to give Florida a 12% chance to win the game. And you know where that number comes from? It comes from the fact that Florida has played eight games outside of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and they have won one of them. That is the data that they have given me. They have played eight games and they have won one. That is a percentage of 12.5. So, all right, I'll up it to 12.5%. That's the data I have. If Florida wants to go out there and prove me wrong, great. I now have more data that I can use to be more positive in future games outside of Van Griffin Stadium. But even in that one win, they were bad. You let a true freshman in his first start throw for almost 300 yards in the first half. It took you the halftime locker room adjustments just to figure out how to not get embarrassed by a a 17-year-old kid. That's not really that impressive. So score prediction, um, I'll say 27-10. South Carolina, just because I think South Carolina gets off to a good start. And as I alluded to, and as Chris Yanes alluded to, Florida gets down, they're in big trouble. So I think it's one of those things where they get down early. It's too much for them to overcome. And maybe the play won't necessarily look like a beatdown. Maybe the play won't be so completely and utterly dominated by South Carolina. It's going to be a game that I think fans are going to remember for one reason or another for a while and part of that is because I think the, the the two schools football programs are in very similar spots at least with their their thoughts of their head coaches we'll talk about that in a second but first I mean we're not going to play each other anymore it's I don't know that I'd call it a rivalry I mean maybe I have one with the Carolina fan base but it's not a rivalry in terms of the two teams playing on the field I mean you could say the The 2010 game was, I guess, higher stakes than usual. 2012, there were two top 10 teams. Not really a a lot of, you know, other like high stakes games of of those kinds of statures, but it's a game that features two schools that aren't that far away from each other. There are some. Houses divided that I've seen, like I've you know, you see those house divided flags or bumper stickers. There are a good number of them um, you know, between you know Charleston and Savannah where I I live. So it's it's a game that that does feature two schools in similar spots that aren't going to be seeing each other anymore. So Chris Phillips, as the Carolina fan, how do you feel about this game going away on an annual basis?
0: Yeah, it's it's really weird. And it's a shame. Um, you know, obviously, South Carolina, also Georgia and Tennessee will fall off the slate as well. So it's like all those teams that you grew up seeing the Gamecocks go against no longer on the schedule. So I mean, it's a weird thing. And you mentioned, obviously, South Carolina is not, I, I would not say South Carolina, Florida, some heated rivalry. And I, I know, of course, the Gamecocks are not high up the list of rivals for Florida. But it's you know, the fun thing about this series is sort of the wrinkles in the series, especially when you factor in the the whole Steve Spurrier connection and then the unfortunate Will Muschamp connection. Um, but, you know, there, there's just – it seems like there's a lot of South Carolina-Florida crossover in some respects. I mean, there's even – you go as far as, like, there's guys on the, you know, on the on the South Carolina beat that or, – or, or cover the Gamecocks that went to Florida. Our good friend Mike Gillespie of ABC Columbia, he's actually a – a Florida alum and then of course on my show we have Chris Doring on Mondays we have Mark Ryan of the Fan Upstate on Thursdays who is a noted Florida Gator alum so it's funny like there's a lot of Gator flavor when it comes to the content that I know that we create and, uh, you know, some other things as well. But it it's a shame. You know, it's weird. I mean, I know we're all really excited for Texas and Oklahoma and the expansion of the SEC and just what that means for the league, especially if you watched, uh, you know, that that Texas OU game over the past weekend and just bringing that over to the conference. I know it's going to mean big things for everyone, everybody's pockets as well. But, yeah, that, that game falling off is strange, and uh, you just hope that it's, you know, with the new scheduling format, it's not too long before these two teams meet because the games are a lot of fun. I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of notable matchups, a lot of notable games, a lot of notable results. And uh, like you mentioned, 2010, obviously, hopefully, hopefully it gets back to a point. I think I speak for Gamecocks and Gators fans that hopefully it gets back to a point to where when the two teams meet, there's a lot at stake yet again because it's been a very long time for, I would say, probably both to where, there was a lot at stake in a regular season game to that magnitude in regards to the SEC championship being on the line. But it's weird, man, and it's a shame. It's a shame, but, you know, it's – you got to – with change, you adapt, or you die, and so that's what you have to do. But hopefully sooner rather than later, we see South Carolina and Florida square up again.
2: Well, I suppose with the new format, though, we could potentially face off in the SEC championship game because they're going to get rid of divisions. We're going to have the top two. So if there's ever a a time period where our coaches can figure it out and get us back to the top of the mountain where we're playing in Atlanta, then, you know, that would be a a really fun, fun matchup there. But, you know, Chris, I want to ask you kind of on that note about where we're headed with the conference and the future matchups, it's going to get much more difficult to win games with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma Gator fans. See the gauntlet of a schedule we have. I'm sure South Carolina's is no different, but both our fan bases, they're uneasy right now. They're on edge about the direction of the programs, where their coaches are at now at this stage in the game. What do you, what is the sense you get from a South Carolina faithful about Beamer and how long the administration will give him to get the job done in Columbia, South Carolina?
0: Yeah, Chris, that's a really fascinating question because if you'd have asked me this before the season started, you know, over the offseason, I would have told you that, at least at that point, I thought Shane Beamer sort of felt untouchable, right, because of the way they finished year two of his tenure and all the positive offseason momentum they have created. But, you know, the start of this season and really following the Tennessee loss, it was a very humbling reminder to me that it really comes down to wins and losses. And no coach is immune to the effects of losing. It doesn't matter how great your culture is. It doesn't matter what your graduation rate is. It doesn't matter how cool your uniforms are or what you say in press conferences or this, that, whatever. It comes down to winning games. And... I think Shane Beamer is still doing everything right at South Carolina to the best of his ability. I think he truly is at his dream job and he's a gamecock guy through and through. He's not using South Carolina as a stepping stone. I think, you know, they're having successes in recruiting, but you are hearing more grumbling and groans from the fan base than I ever thought we would hear five games in a year, three of the Shane Beamer tenure. I mean, guys, as far as people saying that, you know, hey, maybe he's not the guy, like the whispers, the chatter. And to be fair, though, guys, I'll say this. You heard it. It was maybe a little bit more subtle, but you heard it also following the Florida game last year when the Gamecocks got beat down 38-6. to And, of course, Shane Beamer was loyal to Marcus Satterfield at that point. And can Shane Beamer make a move? Can he fire a coordinator? Can he do this? Can he do that? So find some joy. Yeah, the, the whole, yeah, doom and gloom, find some joy, what have you. So, I, I want to tell you, Chris and Neil, that South Carolina, I think the administration is locked in with him for the long haul. I think it's one of those things. This is the way I look at the hiring. You hired a guy who had never been a head coach before. If you're going to roll the dice to that degree, you've got to invest, in my opinion, in the long term. Like you, you got to let him build, you got to let him grow, you got to let him evolve, and just see what happens. Like you're South Carolina, you've never won anything, anyways. What do you have to lose taking a chance on this guy? And I don't think you can pull the quick trigger. I don't think this was ever going to be a three- or four-year fix, a rebuild. Like, for example, at Florida, what I'm saying is blasphemous because Florida has won national championships. It shouldn't take you three to four years to win at Florida. You have resources. You have history, tradition, the way you're recruiting, right? Like, Billy Napier's not going to get the leash that Shane Beamer's going to get, and I'm not even telling you that he should. And I think the thing that's going against these coaches as well is especially when South Carolina goes out there, they don't just lose to Tennessee in a revenge game, but they get their butts whooped, and people start connecting the dots. Okay, well, Josh Heupel took over at the same time that Shane Beamer took over. Why is Tennessee's program, it feels, at least light years ahead of where South Carolina is? And so it's this this game of keeping up with the Joneses. And, guys, you might hear this in daily life that comparison is the thief of joy. That's what's happening, I think, to a lot of college football fan bases to where it's like Shane Beamer's done so much good in such a short time at South Carolina. But, unfortunately, folks are looking at some of these overnight success stories like what Brian Kelly did at LSU, even what Dion's doing at Colorado. Like, he's changed the game forever. He's shortened the window for coaches forever because it's like, okay, well, you can flip your roster overnight. Like, what's your excuse? Do you need five years to build a program, six, seven, what have you? I don't think coaches are going to get that anymore. So with all that being said, I think one of the reasons you're hearing that groaning as well from the Gamecocks fan base, the way they finished year two, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson, admittedly, guys, I think it set some very unrealistic expectations for year three of his tenure, because I've always looked at it this way. And you can say, you know, some people will come at me, even the Gamecocks fan base, say it's a loser mentality, you're this, that, you're accepting mediocrity but I'm viewing it from a building the program standpoint. In the first five years, if you can just make bowl games every year, scratch the surface of seven or eight wins, keep positive momentum in recruiting, you're laying the foundation for building a program. But the question to your point is, is he going to get that much time? Like, is the fan base, is the administration, are they going to allow him to do that? So I would say this. I'd say the buy-in is still really high on Shane Beamer and Beamer Ball and, and everything. But... No coach is immune to the effects of losing. And even though South Carolina doesn't have the history and tradition of a Florida, they got a taste of it with Steve Spurrier. And Gamecock Nation is itching so badly to get back to that. And then you look at what your neighbor's doing down the street, and especially if a Florida got it going. That's why, guys, I said this game was so pivotal for South Carolina over the summer because I don't think Florida's going to be down forever. Like, whether it's Billy Napier or it's somebody else who's reaping the rewards of his recruiting, somebody will get into Florida and get it going and get it right because Florida, just like Tennessee, and I know you guys don't like the comparison, but, like, has history, has tradition, has one big. All it takes at Florida is the right guy. Like, you got everything you need, right? You just need the head man. So if 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 you continue to get surpassed by some of these other programs, you see the success Mizzou is having, Kentucky is having. Guys, I don't know. If it goes sideways, again, no coach is immune to the effects of losing. All that being said, The fan base, I think, still loves Beamer. They support Beamer, but you got to win games. Bottom line, you gotta win. And I just never thought we'd hear the level of criticism and the level of, you know, the fan base being so disgruntled with the potential of, oh, well, maybe this guy ain't it after five games in year three. That admittedly, guys, stunned even me. Well, I
2: will
3: say this for or sorry, go ahead, Chris.
2: I was just gonna say your lips to God's ears on the Florida will not be down forever. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't. Yeah. See, I, I don't. Maybe I'm just a, a, a you know I, I'm a clueless outsider. But I mean, I, I look at the recruiting, and again, I don't know if Billy Napier will be the coach of those players. But somebody's going to coach that well, talent.
2: So I, I've heard the comparison. I'm I'm sure you're you're old enough to remember Ron Zook at Florida. He right. recruited very very well. He was like then, the
0: bridge guy. He was the bridge guy he, right. to the guy.
2: Right. Right. And he he replaced the legend. in Steve Spurrier, right, and then Urban Meyer came in and won with his player, his recruits, in that first 06 title, got the ball rolling, and then Urban obviously was the juggernaut recruiter that he was, and was able to recruit another national championship team two years later. But you know, I, I, I think there are fans that say Napier could be that guy. It's only a kick, <laughs> a jump, a block. <laughs> it's only a serve. <laughs> It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's
3: only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
4: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1-per-month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
2: But if Napier maybe is able to hire an offensive coordinator this offseason, and we're hearing a lot, uh, Neil and I both on our sides, people that we know within the program, Believe that is going to happen. We Napier recognizes that he cannot do it all. He, I think, is a very good CEO, but like all good CEOs, they're only as good as their COO, their CFO, their VPs, whatever you want to call them. The people underneath them in that in that big conglomerate of people that lead the program, that lead the organization, they have to be good behind him, and he has got to hire a few more good people behind him. One being an OC, kill the experiment that is this two offensive line approach, maybe get an on field special teams coordinator or have a coach responsible for it, at least on game day that is on the field. So we clean up these things. Then I think he's able to focus more on the things he's really good at, which is building a culture, building a great recruiting class, you know, having a good relationship with the administration to do big time projects. Uh, be better maybe at game management situations with calling timeouts, clock management, play, you know, little things like that. It takes something major off your plate. And also it provides some insulation for you because Mm -hmm. one of the things I said at the time with Dan Mullen, when he decided in 2020 to retain Todd Grantham, after I mean, that was a championship caliber team with that offense we had. We didn't win a championship because we had a, a historically bad defense. He should have been fired for that, no doubt. And the moment that Dan Mullen decided to keep Todd Grantham, the target moved from Grantham's back to Mullen's back. And that's why one year later, when things went south, it was Mullen, not Grantham. Firing was Grantham old. was a year too late.
3: Yeah. Well, all right. So a couple a few a few different points I wanted to make in order. I was uh I was just bursting at the opportunity to tell Gator fans this you 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 think our schedule is bad in twenty four. South Carolina's might be even worse. Yes, they do have Vanderbilt, but listen to this. At Alabama, at Oklahoma, at Kentucky, who's no longer a joke, LSU, Mississippi, Texas A&M, and what seems to be a rising Missouri program, not to mention the obvious game.
0: That schedule is going to come with more than likely a redshirt freshman quarterback Taking over and running the show. So, right. So,
3: this, and th- this was my point when the schedule first came out for Florida, and everyone was like, oh my God, it's horrible.
0: It's hey, Mark, horrible. Mark Ryan said it was the most difficult college football schedule in the history of college football. He Florida's said, or
3: South Carolina's? Florida's, Florida's,
0: Florida's. most Florida's? difficult schedule Florida. in college football history because they play 11 power five opponents.
3: But here's the thing you're in the SEC, get used to it. That's what you signed up for, right? So, and look we didn't schedule central florida when they were a, a power five program they subsequently became one which by the way there's not going to be a power five anymore sorry big 12 that's you're, you're not the same as the sec or big Ten. but anyway um south carolina's schedule is hell in 24. so like do you really want to trade that florida doesn't have to go to alabama florida doesn't have to go to oklahoma and we also play LSU and Texas A and M and Ole Miss at home. So, like, just six one half dozen or the other. It's not always so much nicer somewhere else. But that that's the first point. The second point is to the the Billy Napier um, and Shane Beamer leash comparisons. He came into a program at Florida where the culture was absolutely decimated. I wrote a a long uh, two-part investigation piece on just how shattered it was at Florida when Dan Mullen left. Um, Mullen took the program over with good intentions, I thought. I thought that everything from the get-go was good with him. It just subsequently went sour when he allowed Todd Grantham and offensive line coach John Hevesy to kind of poison things behind the scene. But he took over a mess, Gator fans know that Gator fans for a while, especially when he was posting vacation pics with his kids in bathing suits at the beach, Dan Mullen was public enemy number one. Like, oh, look at you, look at you, man. You're living it up getting paid $12 million to actively sit on your ass and not do anything. Aren't you the most joyful guy in the world right now? So between that and the fact that the guy coming in to replace him is by every possible sense, The opposite of Dan Mullen, the opposite of that guy who is now your number one villain, he's going to get some time. He's going to get some patience. He's going to get some understanding that things were not great when he took over and that he needs a little bit of of a leash to make things the way they should be. Now, that said, the leash is not infinite. It is not a leash of, say, the length it would be at a program like Rutgers or a program like, um, like a Kansas State. So Florida fans are kind of balancing those two extremes where, yeah, we're prepared to be patient, but at the same time, we got to see some improvement. We got to see some progress. We've, and this has been my, my, uh, my, my war cry with, with this team this year too is we've got to see some signs that things are heading in the right direction. Beating South Carolina would do that because it would show that Florida can go on the road and win a game, um, Outside the swamp, because you can say Texas A&M was just a fluke because it was a 17-year-old kid, at quarterback with a bad offensive line. Whereas here, it's a quarterback who has previously tormented us a couple of years ago in the Cotton Bowl. And even since then, not against us, but since then has had some success. So we would show that, okay, Texas A&M, not a fluke. This is a team in South Carolina that's pretty well-rounded as a program right now. Maybe they're not but Florida is, but it's a respectable program nonetheless. You're going on the road and beating. So if Florida wins this game, I think this is a good way to cap the show. If Florida wins this game, it'll show at least some sign of improvement. It'll show some sign of progress. It'll show some sign that things are better now than they were a year ago or even earlier in this year. If South Carolina wins this game, it will give you guys all the momentum because you've already played the, the hell part of your schedule. You've already played your your Georgia game. You've already played a solid team in North Carolina, and you've already played Tennessee on the road. You guys have it easy, relatively speaking, for the SEC the rest of the way. So as we started the show, I think it's fair to end it with the same, the same thesis. The loser of this game is in big trouble for the rest of the season. It will be a a very very disappointing season and potentially even disastrous season for the loser of this game.
0: And on that note, Neil, the most damning thing, or one of the most damning things of all, and Gator fans will chuckle at this. I'm not sure if you guys realize this. The best overall record through three seasons as head coach at South Carolina it belongs to Will Muschamp, who had 22 wins through his first three seasons. Shane Beamer needs six more wins this season to surpass that, five more to tie. But unfortunately, every time Shane Beamer loses a game, that's being brought up and used against him and compared. And so it's it's not only about losing how you're losing, it's sickening to think that, you know, Will champ could hold on to that record. It, it just honestly, like, it, it it makes my stomach turn. But to your point, I agree with everything you said about Florida. I think for South Carolina, too, it's pivotal to win this one to show that the sky is not falling and there's still hope to having a respectable, maybe, say, seven-win season, decent bowl game, continue to build momentum in recruiting, et cetera. So it's, it's definitely debatable of who needs it more in regards to what coach, what team, what fan base. And like I said... When you have two fan bases and two teams who so desperately need to
2: win, I think it's
0: going to lead to one wild Saturday at williams Bryce. Absolutely.
2: Well, we can't wait for it. It's another good SEC football matchup, and uh, may the best team win.
4: MyPatriotSupply.com